0: Keeping dolphins and whales in tanks is a living hell for them, and we'll go into all the details on why this is. But for those who already are in tanks and aquaria across the world, you can't just release them back into the wild. They're not going to survive. So how can we give a better life to these whales and dolphins and free them from being kept in these tanks? Today, I invite Dr. Lori Marino, founder and president of the Whale Sanctuary Project, to talk about solutions for these dolphins and whales in captivity, including building coastal sanctuaries where they can finally be free from tanks and experience the wild. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the EcoChat podcast. In each episode, we chat with experts in conservation,
1: animal welfare, sustainability, or environmental science to learn how you and I can make a difference for the planet. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
0: So one of the first questions I ask guests on this show is, What's your mission?
1: Well, the mission of the Whale Sanctuary Project is to create a sanctuary for uh, beluga whales and and orcas who are living in concrete tanks right now.
0: Great. Nice and simple. So creating a sanctuary for belugas and orca whales living in tanks. Yes. So what's the problem with them living in tanks?
1: The problem is that... uh, Orcas, belugas, and other cetaceans uh, cannot do very well in concrete tanks. They tend to have very poor health. They tend to have psychological problems, uh, immune system problems, and they just don't belong in in tanks. Uh, the tanks that uh, these entertainment parks provide for them are are very impoverished environments, and uh, they they really uh, suffer from a lot of stress trying to cope with such an artificial barren environment.
0: Got it. You mentioned the term cetacean, so can you first of all define that? Yeah,
1: a cetacean is is a dolphin, whale, or porcus. They're uh, marine mammals, and there are a lot of different species. Uh, the ones who are normally kept in captivity are bottlenose dolphins, orcas, beluga whales, pilot whales, and a few others, like white-sided dolphins. So those are the ones we want to focus on in terms of providing a better life for them in a sanctuary.
0: Got it, got it. And then you mentioned they don't do well in tanks. They have a lot of psychological and health issues. Yes. So why is this particularly the case for cetaceans?
1: Well. Cetaceans, in particular, have a lot of characteristics that make them really ill-suited to living in in concrete tanks and performing in in artificial environments. First of all, they have very large, complex brains. Uh, They're very, very intelligent animals. And that kind of level of intelligence uh, requires a dynamic, complex, challenging environment and they get anything but that in a concrete tank. So they're a big-brained animal uh and and there's really nothing to do in a concrete tank. They're also highly social and they need to live in natural pods and family units and that's very difficult for them in in tanks as well. And they are also animals who need to travel and swim for long distances. And, and they're obviously that's not possible in, in tanks. So essentially, their lives in marine parks and aquariums are uh take away everything <laughs> that makes their life worth living. They cannot thrive under those circumstances, and that's why we need to provide. Uh, sanctuaries for them so we can get them out of those impoverished environments and, and into environments that more closely match the natural environment.
0: Got it. Are there any examples or studies that demonstrate their intelligence and how that compares with humans?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, their pods and family units are held together by strong emotional ties. Um, they tend to, there are many uh, communities of orcas, for instance, who stay together uh, for, for their whole lives. In some orca communities, uh, the male stays with his mother his whole life and if she passes away he may go into a very deep depression and even and even die himself uh, we saw examples of how they respond to death with the uh with uh, the with taliqua who carried her dead infant for over 17 days they uh grieve and they also show uh, a playful side and a highly social side. And these animals are are like us, uh, motivated by by intense emotions, and in many cases, those emotions may even be stronger than our own.
0: Very fascinating. And yeah, regarding the playful side of things, I have firsthand experience of this myself. So I think I was on a cruise or some ferry, and then we had a pot of dolphins swim next to us and they were super playful. They were like doing flips and jumping right next to the boat. I mean, they didn't have to entertain us. These were completely wild dolphins, but they did these flips anyways. And this, to your point, just shows their playful side of things and their love to socialize.
1: They like to have fun, and they're also animals with a lot of agency, and they want to express their autonomy, uh, just as we do. So we like to do what we want to do and spend our days the way we choose and not be uh, told what to do or confined, and it's the same thing uh, for them. Uh, They have very large, complex brains, and they need a lot of input into those brains in order for them to thrive.
0: Right. So if we keep these highly intelligent, highly curious animals in tanks, are there any specific health or psychological issues that are common among these animals kept in tanks? For example, depression or suicide?
1: Uh, yes, uh, we've done some pub, we've published a paper, a couple of papers on these issues. And when you look at what uh, they uh, Experience In the tanks, it's, it's very, very much uh, like what other animals and even humans experience in highly artificial uh, environments. In other words, they suffer from chronic stress and the immune system suppression that is brought on by that chronic stress, which then leads to infectious disease and mortality. They die more often. Orcas and beluga whales die more often in captivity than in the wild. They die younger than in the wild. Um, they exhibit all kinds of manifestations of stress, like uh, behavioral stere- stereotypies and hyperaggression, and their social lives are are really really uh, you know messed up because they are don't have a, a natural social life um, that they would have in the wild, and that's extremely important for their mental health. So again, we see all the signs of of uh, physical and mental uh, distress. Uh, that you see in other animals put in harmful situations, and that you see in in humans who are psychologically distressed as well.
0: Hmm, For sure. Could you also talk a bit about their communication and how putting them in tanks could potentially impact their communication?
1: Sure. Well, many O'Donocetes, like bottlenose dolphins and beluga whales and orcas, echolocate. In other words, they produce high-frequency sounds that bounce off of objects in their environment, and then they receive those echoes, and they form a mental image of that object from those echoes. They also use echolocation clicks and other types of sounds in communicating with each other, whistles, uh, squawks, and thumps, and all kinds of sounds And they can actually make two different sounds at the same time. So they have very, very complex uh, acoustic communication systems. And uh, they utilize these uh, in the wild in in a number of ways. But in the tank, where it's the same every day, where it's basically featureless, When you think about it, there's really nothing to echolocate on and there's nothing to talk about. And uh, that's, that's one of the problems is that after you've been in the same room, a barren room, after a couple of days, you finally realize, well, it's the same old, same old every single day. And there's no reason to explore any further because you know every inch of that room. And it's the same for them in the concrete tanks. It's just a daily monotony.
0: Makes sense. So putting them in tanks, of course, gives them a very barren and dismal existence. Can we contrast this with what it's like in the wild? So for example, what are their needs? What are their habits and behavior in the wild? And how far do they travel?
1: Well, I mean, their life in the wild is the exact opposite of what it's like in marine parks, and that really is the problem. There's nothing about living in a marine park that resembles life in the wild. Um, In the wild, um, they are in a very fluid, dynamic, complex environment. And there are many other types of creatures and animals that they interact with. They tend to grow up in a social culture, Um, where they spend a long time being juveniles and learning how to be a member of their specific culture. So for instance, orcas, killer whales, um, in different parts of the world have different cultures, and they learn how to be members of those specific cultures over a very long juvenile period. And that's something that teaches them how to survive, what prey to... To, um, to capture um, what behaviors are, are acceptable, uh, who to mate with, I mean, just the, the facts of life. And they spend time traveling long distances with their pod and uh, hunting and, ch- and being challenged by their environment. So this kind of complexity and this kind of dy- dynamism is essential for their well-being. And that's what they live in, in the wilds, in the ocean. Uh, When you think about it, the ocean doesn't have any barriers, doesn't have any walls, there are no territories. And so for a cetacean, the territory is the other members of their social group. They are a moving environment in a sense. So the social environment becomes everything to them. And so that that's part of, of why uh, it's so difficult for them to, to thrive in tanks because they don't have that, um, that level of social support uh, or networking that they really need to thrive.
0: For a cetacean in a tank... I'm trying to think of an analogy in human terms so that our listeners can relate a bit more. So would it be like putting a human in a room where they can do whatever they want, but there's nothing in the room. They can't go outside. There's no phone. There's no internet. Would that be a good analogy?
1: Exactly. And I would say that, you know, the, the analogy I typically use, Sam, is say somebody put you up at a really nice hotel, you know, it's clean, um, and somebody slips your food under the door every day so you don't have any worries about starving, you're fed. And if you get sick, a doctor rushes in and takes care of you. And, you know, there's no, no nobody to prey on you. There's no dangers. You just have to stay in that room the rest of your life. Think about that even in the finest environment, even in the nicest hotel room, you would eventually jump out the window. Um, And so think about them. That's the analogy. Um, And we have internet and we have, you know, email and everything. But think about how it was during COVID when we couldn't leave our houses or our apartments, even with all the social media we were really being stressed out. So it's not enough just to be there. I mean, you have to be able to get out there and socialize and be amongst the living. And that's really important for dolphins and whales. When they don't do that, they, they just, they they can't. That's a, a very stressful thing for them. And, and the animals that they share the tank with are perhaps some, semblance of a social group, but nothing like what it would be in the wild. I mean, these places take animals and individuals and separate them. They force individuals together who may not get along. So it's a really artificial social environment.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I would probably go crazy after only a few weeks being put in a room with nothing to do.
1: Of course.
0: So, How did these dolphins and whales get into these tanks or aquaria in the first place? Like, were they captured from the wild?
1: Well, uh, years ago, I mean, there were a lot captured from the wild by uh, United States aquariums. Nowadays, they just breed them in captivity. Um, Where they're captured from the wild mostly nowadays is in Asia and in Russia, um, where they take them from the oceans and just basically have a pipeline from the ocean to a growing aquarium industry in China, Japan. Uh, I think China has close to 90 marine parks, and they get a lot of their animals from the wild. They try to breed them, but they're not always successful. So um, it depends upon what part of the world you're talking about. In this country, um, they are bred. There's only one orca left uh, who was captured from the wild uh, in the United States, and that's Corky, and she's at SeaWorld San Diego. The rest of them have all been bred in captivity.
0: Hmm. Okay. So for those who are bred in captivity, so they were born and raised in tanks, would they be more adapted to life in tanks?
1: You know, you would think that, but no. The evidence points to the opposite. The evidence points to the fact that those uh, whales born into the tanks actually do a little worse than those taken from the wild. And when you think about that, why? Well, if those who were captured from the wild spent three or four years with their family, they at least got a little bit of what it's like to be a whale um, before they were taken away. Those born in captivity uh, never have the experience of being in a normal social group or learning normal communication skills or, or anything like that. But yet their, their entire nature needs to have all of that. And so they they do very poorly. Uh so they don't, you know, they're not domesticated. Uh they're still wild animals. Um and every fiber of their brain and their body uh needs to be in the wild. Uh they they just uh don't get what they need in concrete tanks.
0: Yeah, I remember this must have been over a decade ago, but I was working at the Vancouver Aquarium. Yeah. And the beluga there gave birth to a baby, baby beluga, and it was super cute. Um, but after like only one or two years, it died. And there was no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. Like there's no obvious health issue. They tried to diagnose the problem, but couldn't find anything. So yeah, that was like my, my first-hand experience that these dolphins and whales just don't do well in captivity in tanks, there's some underlying health issue or just something is just not right with them.
1: No. And, and, you know, it shouldn't be surprising because these are wild animals who evolved over 50, 55 million years in another environment. And they're being forced to be born into this highly artificial environment. So, you know, it shouldn't surprise anyone that they don't do well.
0: All right. So we talked a lot about the problem. Let's move on to the solution now. So first, when I asked you, what's your mission, you said it was to build sanctuaries for these whales and dolphins. Can you talk more about that?
1: Sure. You know, a lot of people now know that these animals really can't thrive in marine parks. So the question is, what do you do about that? And obviously, one thing to do about that is to stop the breeding, stop making more animals who are living under those conditions. But what about those who are already there? Um, most of them, if not all of them, cannot be just released into the wild because that doesn't, that's not a concept that's that works for them. If they're born into a tank, there's they don't have the survival skills. Uh, to live. They don't even know what prey is. Uh, They don't have a social group. It's just, it doesn't work for them. So what is the next best thing you can do? Well, you can provide for them an environment where they experience as much of a wild environment as you can give them, but they're still under human care. So just like sanctuaries for elephants and, and other wild animals, Uh, Cetacean sanctuaries are places where you still give them veterinary care, you still feed them, uh, and you still protect them. But it's all in an environment that coincides more with their their natural history, with their adaptations, and you promote their autonomy, you promote their exploring the environment. Um, You give them the freedom to be whales again, Um, And so it's not, nothing will ever equal being born in the wilds. I mean, that sanctuary is still captivity, but it is a way to give back to these animals much more of what was taken from them, being forced to live in, in these impoverished tanks and marine parks.
0: We'll go back to the sanctuary in a second, sure. but you just mentioned a really interesting point, which is one of the solutions is to just stop further breeding of these dolphins and whales. Yes. So are there any laws in place or in progress that are working to ban the breeding of certain species?
1: Well, some are. The, in Canada, there is a bill. Uh, that has banned the breeding of dolphins and whales in captivity. And that bill went into effect in 2019. And essentially now there's only one uh marine park in Canada that uh, still holds dolphins and whales. um they're they're prohibited from breeding. And the the whole idea behind that is that this will be the last set or generation of whales living in concrete tanks. In this country, SeaWorld has uh, stopped breeding orcas that they hold, but they still breed beluga whales and bottlenose dolphins and any others that they have. And they also send their orcas abroad where they are bred. So we still have a tremendous amount of breeding of these animals. into marine parks, that has to stop.
0: On that last point about sending orcas and belugas abroad to be bred, is there also a potential loophole where even if we ban captive breeding in our country, aquariums could still just import these animals from abroad, which do allow captive breeding? Would that be a potential issue?
1: Well, yeah. In Canada, they wouldn't be able to do that. in the United States, it would be very difficult uh, for places to import at this point. Uh, there was an attempt a few years ago by uh, by the Mystic Aquarium and the Georgia Aquarium and a few other places to bring in uh, some beluga whales from a Russian uh, capture. And uh that was not allowed. That was shot down. Um and uh they tried because there is a difficulty with beluga's breeding and captivity, and they wanted to bring in new DNA um from captured animals, but um that that just they they were caught in the act and, and they were not allowed to do that. And that was the last time we know of where there is an attempt to do that in this country.
0: Got it, got it. All right, so moving back to the sanctuary, you mentioned that we have a lot of these cetaceans that are in captivity, but we obviously can't just release them back into the wild. They're not going to be able to survive. So the next best solution to offer them a better life would be to put them into these sanctuaries. So how exactly does a sanctuary work?
1: The sanctuary works uh, very much in the same way that Uh, an authentic sanctuary for other large wild animals would work. It's a place of refuge. It would be a place uh, that's netted off, in our case, for our site in Nova Scotia. uh, We would net off 100 acres of water uh, for the whales to live in. Um, It would be a place where we would still feed them because we wouldn't They wouldn't be able to feed themselves. And we would still give them uh, veterinary care and protect them. Uh, But it would be a place where they could interact with the ocean because they would actually be in the ocean. Um, There will be fish that swim through the net. Uh, They will be allowed to spend their time the way they want. There will be no... uh, Uh, entertaining or performances, Um, and and what we're trying to do there is give them back uh, as much of what was taken from them. Now, it can't be perfect because they're still held captive, but we're trying to give them a lot more space um, and give them back some autonomy and also give them back an environment that is interesting to them that does have something to to do. Um and and that's that's what we're trying to do with sanctuaries. Uh we you know we have a lot of elephant sanctuaries that do that, that really help the animals get back to being elephants. And the whole purpose of a cetacean sanctuary is to provide a place where we can help them get back to being who they are to the best of their ability.
0: Right. So it's basically a large coastal area of the ocean that's netted off for these cetaceans. Yes. Got it. Got it. What are the challenges of building such a sanctuary?
1: Well, there are a lot of challenges. um, And, you know, as we have been at this for several years, uh, I've been on a learning curve. (laughs) Um, The challenges are finding the right site a place that meets the needs of the animals, but is also a place where the local community of people adopt the program and really want to support the program. Uh, It's a place that has to be clean and doesn't have a lot of pollution or noise, Uh, is not right in the middle of a lot of human activities. And then you also have to get all of the permitting. So you don't just, you know, put a net in a nice site that you find. You have to get um the permits and the leases for the water space and the land adjacent to it. All that is a very long process, a very complex process, lots of assessments of the environment. Um but we are um, we're nearing the end of that that phase, um, and uh, I think it's it's probably a little bit more complex to build a cetacean sanctuary than a land animal sanctuary, even though both are very challenging.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine the complexity of applying for permits and then handling all the logistics and operations.
1: Yeah, I mean these are this is a new thing, and so you know we're in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia government is trying to find a way to uh, to help us have a path to completing this, but it, they've never been faced with anything like this before. You know, leasing and permitting for a whale sanctuary is just so new. Um, it's never been done before. So, so you know, we're all learning um, how to move forward with um this model
0: Hmm. is this the first example of a whale sanctuary being created
1: well it is the first example of a model sanctuary that will be capable of holding more than one species and will have the space that we are providing Um, there are other areas there are other places like the national aquarium in baltimore they are also uh, looking for a site for bottlenose dolphins that they currently have, um, and they want to move to a sanctuary. And there's also um, a place in uh, Iceland um, where there are they are creating a sanctuary for two beluga whales, and um, they've been at that for. A while, but but are are making a lot of progress, and um, probably next year those beluga whales will be able to be in that sanctuary permanently. Um, but they've been making a lot of progress as well. So this is this is all new. This is all new on the scene as part of the landscape of of you know giving back to the to wild animals, what was taken from them.
0: What does it take to get the government to give you this huge coastal area of ocean to net off? Like, how much convincing do you have to do?
1: Well, it's not so I mean, once people understand what you're trying to do, they get it. They understand that you know, concrete tanks are not good places for these animals and that we are trying to give them a better life. So it doesn't take a lot of convincing on that score. What is more, uh, you know, time-consuming is really just, you know, what are the actual pieces that have to be put in place? You know, if we were a fish farm or uh, uh, some other kind of, you know, project that they've done before, they would know exactly the steps we'd have to take to get permitted to do this. But because we're new, and there's no one that's come before us, they're working it out along with us um, in terms of, you know, what agencies have to sign off, what, what we obviously have to make sure that we are not going to do any harm to that environment, that we're not going to stop any industries from create doing their thing, uh, that we're not going to cause any environmental harm or species harm. So all of that factors into it.
0: Got it. I want to get a sense of the timeline of this project in Nova Scotia. So when did you start and then where are you at now?
1: Well, the start, really, I mean, the starting, if you really want to think about what is, when did, I first had the idea, which back in 2016, um, when I decided that instead of talking about how bad it is for dolphins and whales in, in, in marine parks, that maybe we should all get together and do something about it. Um, and so in 2017, we uh, we started the uh, the Whale Sanctuary project, and we spent a long time, about a couple of years looking for sites. Uh, we looked on both uh, the eastern and the western shores of Canada and United States. We spent a lot of time on foot, literally just going up and down the coastlines of British Columbia and Washington and Maine and Nova Scotia, looking for a site. And it took us two years um, because it's not that easy to do. Um, And once we did find a site, um, actually through the help of the community of Sherbrooke in Nova Scotia, then we announced that in 2020, and since then, we've been working uh, on environmental analyses, on on do, or, all kinds of net design, uh, development of the site. Um, it was a little difficult first year or so because we had a major pandemic, and uh, that uh, slowed everything down a little bit. But you know, we're going full speed ahead now. Um, so it's really only since 2020 uh, that we identified the the actual site and then got to work on that site.
0: Nice. So what's next for you, and how soon do you expect you can start actually putting in these whales?
1: Well, what's next is we um, are have a few additional environmental assessments to make and then it's a question of of taking all of our data and bringing that to the province and asking them for a lease for uh, that water space there's also a few things that we need to do in terms of um uh you know obviously design uh of of the the net and and the, the Different aspects of the the sanctuary site itself. We also are reaching out to facilities who have whales who might be open to bringing their whales to our sanctuary when it's open. Um, so this year, the next steps in the next two or three months are really uh, to complete every single analysis that we that you know. We have to do to dot all our I's and cross our T's, and then hopefully uh, begin to actually develop the site in the summer. Um, And shortly after that, um, have the means to uh, welcome uh, either orcas or beluga whales.
0: Nice. And then, how many animals do you estimate you can house in the sanctuary?
1: Well, if we had both orcas and beluga whales, we'd have space for six to eight beluga whales, perhaps two to three orcas. We might push that a little bit and they might be a different combination, but we won't exceed the carrying capacity of the site, which means that we won't put so many animals in there that the site um, doesn't stay clean. We have to make sure that with whales in there. And the fact that whales poop, um, they produce waste, we have to take into account the flushing of the water. And we have to provide evidence that, you know, with X number of animals, we can still keep the site as clean as it is now.
0: I'm also curious about the economics of this project. I guess it's going to be quite a large amount of money just to cover the maintenance and everything. So, yeah, can you talk to us about the economics of the project?
1: Well, the cost will be covered uh, completely by donations, by philanthropy. uh, And it has been so far. uh, We have estimated that this will be about a $12 million uh, capital cost project. We have about half of that right now. And uh, it'll probably cost about a million and a half to two per year feeding the animals and uh, and the salary for, for several staff members, uh, including uh, veterinarians who will be there. Um, so it is, um, you know, it's not inexpensive, but uh, compared to some other projects, it is. Um, but it will be uh entirely funded by uh, donations and philanthropy, we may um, uh, ask, you know, go to some uh, government agencies for, you know, grants having to do with perhaps educational programs and things like that. But as far as actually funding the sanctuary, uh, there will be no government funding on that.
0: Got it. Any plans to also turn this into like a, a place for education or tourism?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, perhaps not a tourist attraction because that really wouldn't be in keeping with what a sanctuary is. Um, we really don't want these animals to feel like you know they're being watched all the time and being you know, having people close to them, but we will be able to give uh some people Um, perhaps a long distance view. Uh, We will have underwater hydrophones and cameras and we can stream the the whales behavior in anywhere we want. Um, And I think that what's really important is that this will be a way to educate people, Um, children, adults, Um, We can, we'll have educational programs about the whales, um, why they belong in the wild and the ocean, uh, why the ocean needs to be protected, uh, why we need to get them out of uh, these performance parks. Um, So we plan to do a lot of educational work along with the sanctuary.
0: Got it. Well, that's basically all I have to ask about the sanctuary. Do you have anything else to add?
1: Well, just in terms of education, you know, I think that one of the things that sanctuaries do, um, uh, sanctuaries for really any animals is they provide uh, a message for the public. It doesn't have to be in the form of a lesson or curriculum or a course, but by their very existence, they Uh, they show that there is another way to relate to these animals. And there is uh, a reason why they need to get out of the displays that they're in, you know, whether it's elephants or bears, and why wild animals should not be kept uh, for entertainment purposes. And I think by its very existence, the sanctuary will uh, provide a model for uh for that message going forward
0: in terms of i know this probably varies around the world but let's say for north america or the eu i'm guessing with more public awareness are the number of cetaceans in captivity declining over time
1: well (laughs) not really Um, there are about 3500 uh in captivity by our estimates and um is
0: this north america or
1: no no no, around the world okay um and uh in some parts of the world it is declining um uh, many areas many european countries are trying to get out of that business but at the same time it's it's increasing in places like china um and I, so it really is not uh, the same all over. Um, it really depends upon what part of the world you're in. And I think that one of the things that China is is looking at is, is how lucrative this industry has been in the United States. And that's why they are getting into that business and really putting a lot into the business of entertainment parks with dolphins and whales because they know it's something very lucrative and the people there want to have what you know we've had in this country, which is the ability to go and see an orca jumping up in the air or a dolphin jumping through a hoop. Um, and so uh, while there may be uh, some decrease in some areas of the world like Canada and the United States, it's up it's upticking in other parts of the world.
0: The reason why i ask is i'm trying to think of a long-term global solution for this so you mentioned there's around 3500 of these cetaceans in captivity yeah even if you take asia out of the picture you mentioned it takes years for a sanctuary to be created and for example the one in nova scotia you mentioned it can only house around like six to eight whales yeah so i'm just thinking would it be enough if if funding is not the issue and we can just accelerate building these sanctuaries around the world, would it still be enough if each sanctuary can only house around six to eight whales? like how do we provide a better life to most, if not all, of the thirty five hundred whales that are still in captivity?
1: You're right. I mean we can't we we can't put thirty five hundred animals into the sanctuary. Sanctuaries for cetaceans would be um, a model. In other words, we're working with other organizations like the National Aquarium, like the folks in Iceland and others to see if we can scale this up. So we want to do this the right way, but we also want to help um, in creating more cetacean sanctuaries all around the world and finding ways to scale it up economically and in every other way. Um, and so there you know it it's it's not going to help every individual whale living in a marine park but what it will do is it will put something into the landscape into our culture that's not really there yet. And by doing that, I think that it will help to grow um, more of them around the
0: world. So on one end of the spectrum, we have these dolphins and whales living in tanks, which is the worst environment for them. And then on the other end of the spectrum is to house them in these sanctuaries, which is the best alternative to give to these captive individuals. But of course, the, the sanctuaries, as we mentioned, it takes a very long time to build. So... Are there any like intermediate solutions which would take less time to implement and we can offer it to more whales to give them a slightly better life? Like it might not be as good as life in a sanctuary, but, you know, just something to improve their lives compared with just living in a barren tank.
1: Well, yeah, there there are a few things. I mean, we're always hoping that places like SeaWorld will create their own sanctuary-like spaces for these animals. One of the things is that um, they need to get out of the tanks and into a natural environment. And we know from a few studies that have been done that dolphins uh, who are live in, in the ocean, in, bay, in a, even in bay pens or enclosed areas where they are actually in the ocean do better than those living in concrete tanks. So just the very act of putting them, you know, giving them the chance to live in the physical environment that they evolved in would would make a big difference to them. Um, and I think that that's something that can be done, has been done, and uh, could be uh, a really rather. Uh, Easy way, not easy, but, you know, faster way uh, to to get these, get them out of the tanks. Um, and so there is quite a bit more that that really can be done uh, for them. And even sea pens in the ocean as a temporary solution could work. Um, they just need to be in the ocean and, and that would be the right direction to go in.
0: Hmm, that's actually a very good idea. And I would assume that most of these aquaria are near the coast, anyways, because they need to source and pump seawater into the tanks, right?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, so, you know, we would certainly like to see them creating, you know, places for these animals in the ocean instead of in these artificial environments. I think it just would make a big difference. And we have some evidence from studies uh, showing that. So, So let's go with that and try to give them, you know, the best life we possibly can.
0: All right. So for our listener who feels very passionate about this issue, they want to stop whales in captivity, or they want to give existing ones in captivity a better life. What are some actionable items that they can do to contribute to the cause?
1: Sure. I mean, they can, of course, not uh, visit places that are keeping these animals in in entertainment parks and sanctu- and in tanks, um, I would suggest that they visit our website, www.whalesanctuary.org where we lay out all the science, all the reasons why cetacean sanctuaries uh, have to happen. Uh, go to look uh, for other sanctuaries, um, the National Aquarium Sanctuary uh, Project, for instance, and um, just sort of become familiar with why it's so important to get these animals out of the tanks and to, to, to provide a better life for them. Um, so I think those are two things that people uh, can do. Um, get involved, you know, uh, we 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 do live webinars several times a year where we talk about all different types of topics related to this. Um, everything from elephant sanctuaries and primate sanctuaries to, you know, research and communication on communication. So there's a lot going on in the cetacean sanctuary worlds. Um Just visit us and and get involved.
0: Any specific tips on how we can apply more pressure to SeaWorld or other aquaria or to legislation?
1: Um, In terms of the aquaria, it all comes down to the finances. The reason that they still keep these animals performing in concrete tanks is because it's still financially worthwhile for them. So... The the adage, don't buy a ticket, don't go, still applies. I mean, that would be the one thing anyone in the public can do is just say, I'm not going to buy a ticket to a facility that has wild animals kept in tanks jumping through hoops or people riding on them. Um, as simple as that. And, and in the aggregate, that, that would make a tremendous difference. In terms of legislation, when... When there is a policy and legislation that comes around and you have the ability to promote it, uh, please do. Um, we have uh a few things in this country. We have the Swims Act. Uh in Canada, we have another bill coming up for other animals called the Jane Goodall Bill. So just, you know, try to promote uh, as much as possible. Um you know the ending of of their breed their breeding in captivity and you can do that by being by positive actions as well as refusing to engage in the things that keep perpetuating uh this kind of captivity
0: That's very insightful. I'm also curious to hear your background and your story because an idea is one thing I mean I know I had this idea of a whale sanctuary and a few others that I know also had this idea, but an idea is easy. It's the execution that's super hard. (laughs) I know, I know. You're pulling it off. So that's, first of all, very commendable. But yeah, I just wanted to know what you were doing before this and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Well, I'm a neuroscientist by training and I taught at Emory for around 20 years, Emory University in Atlanta. And I've studied the brains of dolphins and whales and other animals for a long time, and I've also, um, about twenty years ago, did a study with Diana Reese, in which we found that bottlenose dolphins uh, recognize themselves in mirrors. And um, you know, after that study, I started to really think about what the experience uh, of these dolphins were who were so self-aware that they could use mirrors to check themselves out. And I realized that their lives were pretty dismal, uh, circling a, a, a literally barren concrete tank. So at, at some point, I decided that in addition to doing the science uh, and to teaching that it was really important for me to also become an advocate for these animals uh, because I realized what they go through uh, living under these circumstances, and and uh, once you know that, it's really difficult to turn away. Um, so that's when I be I started uh, to do work on uh, scholar advocacy. Um, for cetaceans and, and other animals. and uh, just wanted to make sure that, um, I I gave back to the animals that I spent a long time studying.
0: Nice, nice. Well, coming from a science background myself, like I only know the science part. I have zero knowledge or experience in like how to form an NGO or how to do fundraising or, you know, other business or operations stuff. So what would be your advice on how or where I can learn this?
1: Oh, and neither neither do I or neither did I. We have a great team. We have Charles Vinnick as our executive director. We've got Michael Mountain, who was the former president of the Best Friends Animal Society. We've got a full team of people who know how to do all the things that I don't know how to do. <laughs> and, and that's, and that's so
0: really what's what, important. what would be your advice on how do I build a team? How do I find the right people?
1: Um I just I just admit what you don't know and what you what you do and, and stick with what you do best and find people who do those other things. And so, you know, I didn't try to do everything. Um, I looked for people who could do the the business and, and the and the managing and the legal ends and, the, and all of the engineering and, and and I just talked to colleagues who recommended people and through networking um, got a team together. But it really that no one person can do this. It's just not possible. So it really does take a village.
0: Got it. Got it. That's really insightful. So from your years of experience in this field, if you can condense it down to three lessons or call to actions that you would like to share with our audience, what would that be?
1: Well, my first lesson would be um, to to really um, look at, educate yourself about, you know, what the science says about animals in any circumstance. And, you know, on the Whale Sanctuary Project site, we have a, an area called Deeper Dive and we publish, we put all the published papers there where you can read for yourself why these animals need to get out of the tanks. Um, Don't take anybody's word for it. So really, you know, get into what the science, the data tell you about how animals are doing Um, and in That's a, that's a, that's a, and everyone can, can do that. Um, Listen to what the younger generation is saying as well. Kids nowadays kind of know that, you know, certain things are right and certain things don't feel right. And it's important to listen to them and to allow them to be sensitive to other animals So if they say, well, I don't think it's right to keep a dolphin in a tank and I don't want to go, don't force them. Just thank them for being such, you know, aware, thank, you know, kids, intelligent kids and promote that. So I think that's also important because I think kids coming up, they kind of know certain things and sometimes Um, and they need to be, to be, uh, reinforced for being sensitive to animals. And then I think, um, the other thing is to just, you know, always, uh, be active, always sort of, you know, if you want something to change, um, get involved. There's always ways to be involved. You don't have to be a scientist or a teacher or anything. You can be involved in many, many ways. So um, I I would just say this is a really exciting time now because um, we have science, uh, we have education, and we have uh, the new generation coming up. And um, I think, you know, I think it's very encouraging for for um, what may may happen in the future. I hope you keep going in that direction.
0: For sure. You already mentioned the Wild Sanctuary Project, which I will link to in the description below, but please hand off to the audience where they can contact you, learn more about your work, or any other resources you would like to share.
1: Sure. If you go to whalesanctuary.org, you will find everything there. You'll find biographies of all of our team members, Designs for our facility and our nets, why we're doing this, pages and pages of frequently asked questions, scientific papers, just even educational stuff. We have a blog, how students are getting involved. It's sort of, you know, and we we post all the time, and it's a very, you know, active site. Um, and you can also send us questions there. Um and I answer every question that is sent to me. So don't hesitate to answer to, to ask any questions because I will answer them. Um, you know, if you have the means to donate, that would be wonderful as well. Um, and so I would say um that would be a place to start, and then you can, you know, sort of go from there. And I'm I'm again. I'm available uh, to anybody who wants to chat about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and uh, what happens, you know, the plight of animals, wild animals uh, living in on display around the world.
0: Perfect. And I will definitely add this to the show notes. Thank you so much. Well, Lori, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you, Sam. I really appreciate the opportunity and the invitation. So thank you.
0: That's it for this episode of EcoChat. If you enjoyed this content, please remember to leave a rating and review in whatever podcast platform you listen to. This really helps the show get promoted by the algorithm and get shown to more people. Thanks for tuning in and we'll meet again next episode.